You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This might be my favorite experience of... I was literally thinking this. We've done like around 16, 17 episodes. We've only done this for like four months. Still pretty new, but I was already thinking like, I think this is already my favorite. This is amazing. That's crazy. Special guests and off topics in this segment anything goes you're listening to 3 p.m my name is leah hardy and i grew up I'm from a small town in the Navajo Reservation. It's called Cameron. It's right outside the Grand Canyon. So my family, we own land about 30 minutes outside of the Grand Canyon National Park. So I grew up in that area. Um, I also grew up in Flagstaff, so I claim that as part of my hometown. Um, Yeah, Arizona born, Arizona raised, res raised. (laughs) Um, I... uh, grew up my parents currently live in Delcon, Arizona so um there's no running water barely have electricity so it's kind of very very rural very rural living on the reservation so that's kind of part of my background um i currently go to school at byu i'm in my master's program studying to be a psychologist so i like you i love scary stories <laughs> yes <laughs> they <laughs> They are give me life in some cases. <laughs> right? I, I am just so intrigued. I want to know more, and I think coming from my culture, my I'm full blooded Navajo, and our culture is is orally kept. So things are passed down through stories. So it, it's 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 in my blood to be able to tell stories and to hear them, and um, to be a storyteller, to be a good one is considered like a very very good thing to, to be able to tell a story. Um, as a kid growing up, we used to scare each other. (laughs) It was just the thing, you know, we had the older cousins and we would all throw a mattress in back of the truck and we would, like I said, it's, you're very, you're living in this area where there's no neighbors, you know, it's dark and you just throw a mattress in the back of the truck and you scare each other. Mm -hmm. And then you sleep in back of the truck and when you need to use the bathroom, it's like you pee on yourself because you don't want to leave because you're so (laughs) scared. And your cousins are like, oh, you know, if you leave, you're going to get got and it's just, it's just, it's. but I love it. You know, you like, it scares you but you still are so attracted to it. So, I grew up telling scary stories and I love it as well. Um, But yeah, like, I said, I'm from the Navajo Reservation. I'm, I grew up there. And a part of the culture is skinwalkers. And the Navajo word for it is yanakloshi. And so the, I guess the rough, simple translation for that goes, is um, they go on all fours. And skinwalkers, I, I think they're often portrayed as like these people who shapeshift into animals um or werewolves or whatever and i think that's also why i'm really 
glad I'm doing this with you guys is because if I'm going to tell about skinwalkers, like I mentioned before, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. But if, if it, it is talked about, I want to be able to share the correct information about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Just to clarify things. No, for sure. We super appreciate that because as much as we love like the thrill of a scary story, how you were just explaining, at least for me coming into this, I want to be able to kind of just understand the whys behind it. Charles mentioned earlier that I'm always looking like for answers. And in these kind of things, we don't always find the answers. A lot of times there's loose ends and that's okay. But just trying to understand as best as possible, um, I think that's really valuable and gives more meaning to the story. And especially in uh, circumstances like this where there's a lot of culture and history involved, I think it's important to know the origins of it and how it all came into fruition so yeah because to me it's kind of like what you described i kind of feel like it has been like hollywooded you know what i mean like we know the movie version of it so it's very powerful to hear from you like you said the truth so i think i'm so excited (laughs) just that you're here (laughs) when you're like introducing yourself i was like like sort of tearing up because I was just getting so excited. So <laughs> I just wanted you to know that like we're stoked for you. You telling like even just starting it out with like the bed in the back of the truck and I assume you guys would just drive to somewhere and hang out, tell stories and just be with each other. Bro, we can relate. Yeah, and that that like got me so excited. So I can relate slash want to go and do that actually. Yeah. But st- yeah, stories is just like everything. So this is awesome for us. Well, I, I like it too. So I think I'm <laughs> on my people here. <laughs> um, from my experience, there's a taboo on even saying it. Is that correct? Like, would you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree. I would think that I would. I'm taking kind of like a risk talking about it Whoa, outside of. Shoot. It's not, I'm not saying like it's a bad one, but it's something where not a lot of people get pri- like you sharing this information. You wouldn't get it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, it's. It's very like um it's very personal in a way these stories that people have because they totally believe in them mm-hmm. and have real experiences with them. So these are the stuff I have prepared for you are things that I've experienced my family's experienced. So this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. (sighs) I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light. Lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing... Give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am. And you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3am. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about 
was abducted, taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Yeah, it's real. But I think I'll just go ahead and jump into it then. Yeah, go for more. it. Um, so I guess to understand the skinwalkers and how you just, I guess you have to go back to the culture a little bit. So on the reservation, it's a completely different world. It's um, a lot of Navajos and it's exclusively Navajo. Um, and a lot of the traditions and the language and culture is still alive there. So like DJ mentioned earlier, a lot of people are superstitious. Um, it's very nature. People are in tune with nature. Different animals represent different things. Um, even just the plants and the plants have spirits. The sand has spirit. Everything is, they call the concept is called hojo. It means harmony. So it's just, if you ever go to a reservation, it's just a different world. It's a different feeling. It's a different vibe. Um, because the culture is just so saturated within the people. And so skinwalkers are is a part of the culture because um, to us, they're not just people who shapeshift into animals, they're also witches. Hmm. So they are just evil witches who go about casting spells, who go about, um, the term is gushy, they go and they cast spells on people, they go and they witch them. So, skinwalkers, they there's a process to become a skinwalker. You just don't run. You don't get bitten by a werewolf or anything like that. Um, it's kind of a it's a gruesome process. You're basically selling your soul. Um, the way that a skinwalker becomes a witch to get the powers that they need is they find a loved one, the person that they hold dearly to their heart, and they kill them. And then once they kill them or do any other heinous things to them, they grind their bones and they have a little pouch and they put that bone powder and that's what they use to cast their spells. Whoa. So that that sacrifice of a loved one is what gives them their power. And um, they lean, lean very heavily on secrecy. So their identity is very... They rely upon going out in the night and not being not being able to be recognized um, because the the way that tradition goes is if once they're recognized they have to go kill themselves because their identity was revealed because they're just like normal people in the community you could it could be somebody you know it could be your neighbor it could be someone you met at the store who they rely upon their secret identity but once you figure it out who they are it's it's they have to kill themselves so um, they say that the best night for we call, the the nickname that we say is Yanni. So the the perfect night for a Yanni to go around is when it's windy because you can their tracks can blow off by the wind. The wind also carries their calls um, on the Navajo Nation. If you it's forbidden, it's highly it's highly just courage to whistle at night because you're calling them to you. 
So that's crazy. Because yeah. that's in Hawaii too. Yeah. We believe that you like whistling at night calls like evil spirits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we believe too. Okay. And, and your we, uncle, right? Yeah, I, I, sh- I shared this story previously on a different episode, but a story of that that I know of. My mom and my aunt, my family does a like a family camping reunion thing every year. And this was when they were teenagers. All the teenagers and cousins are like in one big tent. And um, one of my uncles, who is honestly one of the funniest people, but when he's a teenager, like he, you think you're invincible as a teenager, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and um, he starts whistling as a joke and he's laughing. And all the cousins are like, Please stop. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like laughing while he's doing it. And uh, nothing happens. They go to bed. In the middle of the night, he's like tossing and turning. And he gets up and he takes off his shirt. And you could see there's scratch marks on his back. And uh, they attributed that to to him whistling earlier. And kind of like mocking it too by laughing. But uh, that's just an example of, you know, the whistling at night. Yeah. At least in Hawaii. What? Yeah, the same goes for us as kids. We, like I said, we would pile up in back of the truck, and then when, when one of us had to use the bathroom, they would joke and they would whistle, <laughs> um, and it was like everybody would be scared and ready to run away. But yeah, that's a real thing. Hmm. Um, you were kind of talking about windy nights in the yeah, tracks. yeah. So that yeah, we believe the part of the reason why they whistle is so the wind can carry it. So windy nights and the clear nights is they so that they can see where they're they're running to. So um, growing up, my mom would, if it was a clear night and it was windy, we, she would say, come inside, come inside. Or they would tell you, don't, don't whistle and just come inside and close the windows and close the blinds because it's, it's, it's a night that they are known to run around. Um, another part of it too is um, they're just people they're witches they're people and so yeah they're just people who do evil things and so in a way i don't know that gives me comfort to know that they're just people Mm. because it um, my grandma used to always say you don't don't fear them or don't be so scared because if you're so scared you're you're feeding their power you're you know you're Mm -hmm. giving them strength so don't don't fear them um, she growing up, she used to tell us, "Don't be afraid at the night. Don't be afraid to go out and and live your life and at, at nighttime." Because to her, she would tell us, "Grandfather's night is called grandfather. So grandfather is night, and he t- and grandfather protects you and takes care of you. And so there's no reason to be scared of him." Mm-hmm. So my my grandma was always like. You know, if you ever see one, you don't run. You say, hey, who are you? I'm going to find out who you are because you have to die. And she's like, no, <laughs> don't be scared. <laughs> Grandma's a G. She's wild. Like she, um, that's, I have a story that involves her and her experience. Um, but yeah, so far, that's it's kind of like the basics of skinwalkers. Well, covering the basics of, of skinwalkers, uh, two questions. One, are they just Navajo or is it all across different Native American tribes? You know, I I can only speak for the Navajo tribe in saying that um, because of it's rooted in different um, 
just kind of within our history. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what other tribes have because I I would think that it's it goes back to their history, their culture, their region that they live in. But for Navajos, it it's specifically mm-hmm. the Skinwalkers is kind of something that we believe only happens within our reservation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. This my second question is I have it i guess i might have an answer to this i don't know if it's true because pretty much everything i know about skinwalkers is hearsay things that i've read mm-hmm. and i don't know if i've talked to any native american and talked to them about skinwalkers the ones that i've talked to they don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. which is fine you know um so you're like the first person who like everything you've shared so far is like brand new to me which is wild but yeah i I was going to say the same thing, like the fact that they're like people, because I think there's a lot of mysticism involved with the folklore. And so you're just like, they're just sounds so scary. Like what would you like, what would you do? You know? And then your grandma and this perspective of like, Hey, they're just people who do evil things. Like you actually have more power than them. If you like really believe, you know? Yeah. So the, the answer that I have for this question, I guess I want to put it up against yours. If you've heard it before, if it's true or not, but do you know the origin of skinwalkers, how it all started? I think, you know, I'm not an expert on it, from, but from different stories that I've heard, and the most common one that I've heard, it was that originally they were used in war. Um, mm-hmm. back, back then, and the Navajos are known as a warring people. Um, they're very fierce warriors. And so some of them would shapeshift to go and spy on different enemies or go in mm-hmm. um, in the night. But eventually, people just become wicked and start using that power for evil purposes. And like I said, they're just people, and they're people who are jealous, who are greedy, who um, just want different things, and so they've taken that power and use mm-hmm. it for evil. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the most common thing that I've heard. That's pretty similar to what I heard. Um, the only different element from the answer that I read was that the power in itself wasn't bad. They used it for good to spy on their enemies, especially like during like the colonization of America, they would send like spies out to the Americans and just trying to, yeah, just spy on them. And then after time, especially with the history between America and Native Americans, a lot of them who had that power turned bitter naturally, you know, and then started using their power for, for evil. So, yeah, and I, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Um, is there like any like animal or symbol that's like really associated with them that like, like for example, my main, my main thinking of the question is like a serpent for Satan, right? Is there anything like that in, in like the folklore or culture that represents them? Yeah, so the coyote is one. He's like a mm. trickster, like mischievous kind of guy. Um, but a lot of them often, it's, I've never seen one before, but often they're described as a coyote or a wolf or something like that. Mm. Um, different animals mean different things in the culture. Owls represent death. Um, so it's just kind of they choose whichever form that they want to take. But most it's most common, a coyote or something that runs on fours. Yeah. I had a question. So, like, um, yeah, 
and like please forgive my ignorance but before this really all that we've learned is like from what we've read online or just what's passed around you know campfires but every time the subject of skinwalkers comes up there is such a taboo of even saying the word skinwalker to the point where we were camping last week and we were sharing scary stories and someone said um i have a skinwalker story and someone sitting around the fire stood up left and she's like i'm not doing that and just walked away and so like i've and, and i've experienced that taboo way more than once it's like every time it comes up someone's like please don't say that you know yeah people will talk about like possessions from the devil and like all these other different hauntings and whatnot but as soon as somebody says skinwalkers there's always people who are like no i'm not participating in that yeah and i i think personally that just kind of goes back to it's a culture it's a real thing like i wish that we can just get in the car and go to the reds right now because then you would you would just feel how different it is and how i think even traumatizing these experiences that people have had Hmm. um that have been carried in a story throughout a family and it's it can scar it can you know to the point where you don't even want to touch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could understand that because being from Hawaii, it's very similar in that we believe that there's life in everything. And our relationship between, you know, the people and the land is like so important. You know, there's like an actual relationship where there's take and give on both sides. And that relationship needs to be respected. It needs to be built upon and, you nourish it together and you grow together and having that translate into, you know, things that are not so good or evil, I guess, um, can be just as real. So that, yeah. that makes perfect sense. But so is, is there kind of a taboo? Like, is there any, is there any like power in saying it? You know that I, I I don't know because once again I grew up with the grandmother who said she openly mm, talked about these experiences. Right. She was just like, "Why should it be a taboo? These people are are bad, and I why should I give in to to fearing them? Because we're only making them stronger if we do this." So, in my my family, I can only speak for my family and the way that I grew up, and I think that's the reason why I'm here today is because we there was no taboo for it for us. It was kind of like. I really like that. And to all of our listeners, I think we've talked about this in the past, is simply giving something the power over you. And I really like the viewpoint of they're just people and it is taboo. I like your grandma's thought on that because the more you give the power, the more power they have over you. So for our listeners, you know, just don't. Yeah. Fear is kind of the the basis of that. I kind of want to like meet your grandma because I feel like she would. I feel like she'd tell me exactly what I need to do with my life, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Since we're on the topic of my grandmother, um, I this is a story that she told me and my siblings. Um, so my grandma is she's a she's a lady. She's a one one of a kind woman, and um, she so she grew up the daughter of a, a medicine man. So in our culture, we have these. Um, they're called they're healers they're kind of like doctors not just for the body but first the mind and the spirit and they they know the healing ways and they know the songs that are associated with it and so my great-grandfather his name is Ulf Ta'inez Bal'aguri he um 
he is a well-known medicine man in the region where I'm from. And my grandmother is his daughter and she grew up on his, right by his side. And he, he kind of raised her like a man. He, um, by the age of eight, she was already knew how to load and shoot a rifle. She, um, they lived very traditional. They lived in the mountains outside of the Grand Canyon and they lived off the land. They're very resourceful people. And, um, so she was, she got married and she had her kids. I think at that point she had about four kids and they lived on this top of this mountain. And the way that I remember her starting the story out was that she was alone with her kids and her kids were my uncles and aunts at that point were young. I think they they were even five to a toddler age, but they were young and she was only, she was there by herself. And the the house that she lived in, the traditional houses, we call them hogans, and it only had a rug door, so there's no door. Um, and they live by kerosene lamp, they live by the fire, and so it's straight up living in the wilderness <laughs> with her children. Um, and she's was known as this medicine man's daughter. And so the way that she explains it, she was often targeted because her she was known, um, her family was known to do good and people in her the way that she explains it, if you're if you're popular, if you're good or if you are known to do good things, often these skinwalkers will target you because you know, they, you have something that they don't often. And so she was up on this mountain and she had her kids and she was alone and it was late at night and she had just put her kids to bed and she was, you know, putting things away, putting, wrapping the food up. And, um, she was sitting there putting things away. And then she heard a, like a, an animal outside and she was, thinking oh you know it's just it's just some random animal outside but as she continued to to listen she she was kind of had this feeling like it's not a natural animal it's not in her mind like it's not that's not right it doesn't sound right so she stopped what she was doing put everything down and was sitting there in silence for like the next 10 minutes and she made made out the the noise that she made out was a faint like sounded like hooves like a horse and it wasn't running around randomly like a horse would it was kind of like taunting like running at the house running at the the blanket door and then taking off back into the night running around the house in circles kind of teasing and she was like that's not natural and she was kind of thinking oh it's a yanagloshi so she, once again, like I said, my grandma is not scared. She grabbed this, she had a gun. Once again, her father taught her how to use it. So she grabbed it and she loaded it as quietly as she could. And then she stood by that blanket and she waited till it circled around the house again. And then um, right when it got too near to the door, she flipped open that blanket and she aimed, she took aim and she sh- started shooting at it. And she was like, in her words, she was just like, I didn't, you know, I tried to aim as best as I could. I tried to to get it. I, I wanted to kill it, you know. 
in, in her mind, she was just like, how dare you? How dare you come near me and my kids? How dare you stalk in the night? If you want to come see me, come see me in the day. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. She was, just, she was just like, it angered her. Like, how dare you come here? And um, so she shot at it. And then she 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 heard it like whimper because she, she she struck it, and she just kept shooting at it, shooting at it, shooting until she was out of rounds, and then, and then it and it ran off, and then um, she she said that she opened that blanket when blanket door walked out, and I guess she shot it enough where a hoof was in the sand, and she shot she shot one of the hoofs off, and so then she was they didn't touch it she didn't want to touch it um so then she just called it called it good went inside went to sleep in my mind i'm like how did you sleep woman <laughs> like <laughs> i would not even but she went to sleep with her kids and then the next morning the hoof turned into a foot oh and so there was a human foot and um she oh. was like oh yeah it was a yanako she was a skinwalker um and then that point um, once again, they they protect their identities. So she told her father this experience, and then they just went around the community seeing who was missing a foot. Yeah. Oof. Did they end up finding anybody? You know, I don't remember that part. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask my mom. Um, but I knew I know that um, somebody. I think I think they found out something. I just I just have to ask my mom. Or my grandma, she remembers. I am curious, though, and maybe this is just me overthinking, is if it was like a horse creature that was running around and there was a hoof left, would that be a hand or a foot that was missing? <laughs> she must have shot the back, you the know, back foot. Like I, maybe the back foot or maybe one of the hands from the front. No, but it was a foot. The it next turned morning. into a foot the next morning, so it had to oh, have be been a yeah, yeah. back foot. I don't even know what to say. I'm like speechless. Yeah. Dude, your grandma sounds amazing. She is. Just strength. That's crazy. And I have, so I've had one experience where I trained um, a kid who moved, he lived uh, his whole life on the Navajo reservation and he moved away. And I think he kind of had a falling out with his family. And I, he came to Provo and I was training him in this restaurant and like I told you before, I've asked everyone scary stories. So I tried so hard not to talk because I just wanted to like respect his, you know, space and, 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 and sensitivities or whatever. And finally, I just kind of was like, could you share anything about skinwalkers? And he kind of stopped what he was doing. And he's like, you know, I wouldn't normally talk about it, but I'll share a couple things with you. And just everything he said has been so confirmed. Like they target people who are doing well. And their goal is to like, because they don't have that, they want to bring them down and things like that. And that was like, I don't know, huge for me because that's nothing you've ever heard. But yeah, so your ground, I don't know. I, I, I'm just in awe. It's nice to know, though, that I'm never going to be a target because I'm not doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fact that your your it was your great grandfather was is a medicine man, was a medicine man. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost feel like, would that be considered almost like the opposite of skinwalkers right because they're healing and they they use like everything they can like every resource they can to help heal and bring good and it's almost like that's what 
the skinwalkers are doing or maybe i don't i don't know that's just a thought i had and i was just curious what you kind of thought about that yeah i think that they're yeah they are opposite because they they use their knowledge and their healing powers for good um the concept on the navajo nation like i said it's called hojo which means everything is in harmony your mind your body and not just you but with nature and so that's what they did they um they use songs, they use herbs, some of them are crystal readers and different things like that um, to help people get back in that harmony and that balance. So there was for good. So becoming a medicine man, is that something that you're chosen to do because a previous medicine man senses something in somebody and they reach out to them and say, hey, you have the potential or can anybody become one and go through like, not like an official school, but I assume they have a medicine man as like their mentor Yeah, it's, and walks them through. So can anybody do it? I think from what I understand, and once again, I, I'm only going off of what I know. It's, yeah, you would have to, if you want to, you would have to approach a medicine man uh, to be an apprentice. Um, but once again, it depends on the medicine man and if and how much of a desire that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather, he, I was we like I I was just out of my family reunion, up in the same mountain where my grandmother had this experience uh, about a week ago, and she was they were my aunts and my uncles were explaining that my great grandfather became a medicine man because he wanted to, and so you kind of have to go through process through steps. So. Do medicine men work regular jobs? Because I assume being a medicine man isn't a paid vocation. Oh, no, it's not. It's almost like a calling. Like, it's something that they just do naturally. So Well, back in the day, back in, like, traditional times, it was something that they would do full-time because people just lived so far away. They would go from ceremony yeah. to ceremony. Um, people would pay them with fruit or with some things of the Resources. crops yeah mm -hmm. uh, but nowadays um because it's more modern they do have you know i think some of them have separate jobs it all depends on how much time they want to give to it them mm -hmm. they don't accept mm -hmm. payment through resources anymore it's kind of through through money blankets and jewelry and that kind of thing do you think that's obscured any medicine men and they've kind of used it as like a tool for like greed like has anybody like false priest and you know, preacher, you know what I mean. I you know I would say no, but um, part of my personal opinion, I think that the craft of a, a medicine man has changed because things have become modern. It's not like traditional times. Medicine men like my great grandfather are not around anymore because my mom was telling me he knew twelve songs, which in our culture was like that's a lot, whereas. She was why one of my aunts was saying medicine men nowadays they only know maybe three or four, so it's kind of like it's sad that a lot of um, things are not as they used to be back in the day. Mm -hmm. My mom even said ceremonies that we had when we were children are not like they are today. They're not like they're different. So I think as time has progressed, as technology has progressed, as all these things are changing, um, unfortunately, some aspects like how we do these things are changing as well. Also, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next one I prepared was my personal experience. So I, I, so my family, 
we also live within the reservation and the house that we live in is it sits on a land that belongs to my father so it has been in his family for a while now um so it's like people know where we live and that's kind of how it goes on the reservation you live where your family is from so you don't you don't just live randomly somewhere most people know you know this is this person's house or this person and this family they're known for this and they live in this region so people know where you who you are and who your family is um so we live on my father's land and it was just me my sister my brother and my mom my father growing up he was a traveling construction worker industrial construction so he wasn't home a lot um so he was out on a job and we had just pulled we came home and everybody went to sleep and my house has no ac my parents live in the desert and they have no ac which i don't understand but <laughs> that's how i grew up and um so everything was open the windows were open the doors um were open and this only the screen door was shut um anything to get air within the house and it always used to bother me that they didn't close the blinds but we had no blinds to put on no curtains on the windows so everybody went to sleep and me my brother and my sister shared a room and then my mom had her room and they're right next to each other it's a small house it's not very big and so my bed i'm sleeping and at the foot of my bed is a window and outside the window there's a light post so the light post shines light into the window so we have that light post and then there's another light post on the other side that kind of just shines so you can see around the whole house um and then there's motion lights too and when you walk past them they turn on and so everybody was asleep it was midnight i remember i was watching a movie on my laptop and i was laying in bed and my little sister was laying beside me and so I had shut the laptop and I put it down and I was just listening to the night. There was crickets and the dogs had all laid down and it was nighttime. People were going to sleep. And I was drifting off, starting to fall asleep. And then I heard footsteps. And I don't know if you've ever been in a desert or, but you can. You can hear when people step on rocks. It's like, and I remember I was I was thinking, oh, the dog, the dogs, and so I was getting ready to close my eyes again, and and then it walked again, and I was thinking, the footsteps are too heavy for a dog, and but the dogs aren't barking, and so then the the footsteps get getting closer and closer and and in my mind i was thinking they're walking towards the window they're walking towards the window and sure enough that person and at that point i had closed my eyes because i was so scared and so that person i don't understand i don't know if you have ever felt this feeling where you just know someone's there you just know that they're looking at you or that they're watching you. You just have that feeling in your body and that's what I felt. 
laying there because my face is right directly in front of that window and I just felt them looking at me and eyeing me through that window and I so scared I was so stiff I don't know if you've ever been scared to the point where you can't move I remember there was this I wanted to scream but it was stuck in my throat and the only thing that I could do was throw the blanket over my face and I was laying there and I was shaking and I was just I hadn't I was scared petrified and then I quickly in my mind I thought the screen doors are open if that I don't know I didn't know if there was one if there was two but I was thinking my screen doors are open my family's sleeping I'm the only one who knows that this person's there um so I remember I told myself Leah get up out of this bed and you have to go in there and run and tell your mom because I knew this person's watching me so if they see me run up they're gonna run too so I mentally prepared myself and then I was like okay on three one two three kicked off the blanket rolled out of my bed and I ran in my mom's room and then I heard that person run off too they ran off and then I I walked in my mom's room kneeled down by her bed and I shook her I grabbed her arm and I shook her and I said mom and she woke up and she was looking at me and and she's like, what? And she was, she was sleeping. And I whispered, I was like, mom, there's someone outside my window. And then her eyes got really big. I remember that. But she didn't scream. She kind of like gathered herself. And then she got up and she said, be quiet. And then we walked into the living room. And I remember there's a window in, by the side of the house that you can see those two light posts. And so she she walked in, she walked to that window, and she pulled open a little bit open. So um, I think that was the only one that we had a blind on because I remember she pulled it a little bit. And there was a person leaning on that light post. And they were in the part where it was dark. So the light shining out, but they were standing by the light post where it's dark. And it looked like they were leaning on it. Like their hands crossed, their legs crossed, and they were leaning on it. And they were looking straight at us. And that made my mom angry. I remember she was like, oh! She made that noise. And like Mark, she's my grandmother's daughter. She's our mother's <laughs> daughter. And then so we went in her room. And then she pulled out a gun out of nowhere. And I was like, mom, where did that come from? She's like, I had this ready to go. <laughs> and um, I remember... She was, she said, she kept saying, be quiet, be quiet. And so then she walked into my room and my brother was sleeping. She shook him. She said, hey, get up. And then I was like, mom, what about Lynn? What about my little sister over here? And she's like, no, leave her asleep. She's dead weight. She's going to cry. She's going to scream. <laughs> Just leave her, leave her be. <laughs> and so we're like, okay. So we left her in that bed. So my little sister's sleeping through this whole thing. Um, but we gathered, we rendezvoused in the living room and, uh, my mom goes, uh, okay, I'm going to, she turned to my brother and she goes, here, I'm going to give you these keys. You jump in our truck. When I say go, you run in there, turn it on. And then in our truck, my dad had a spotlight. It's the spotlights that you plug into the, um, the little power thing in by the console it's powered by the truck she's like you turn it on plug that spotlight in 
and then I'll jump in too and we'll chase it. We'll chase that that person. And so, and I said, Mom, what do you want me? She said, you stay on the porch and you make sure nobody comes in because we don't know how many is out there. And so I said, okay. And then I remember, I was so she goes, ready? And she was looking at us. She said, don't be scared. I We can't afford that right now. Don't be scared. And so then she goes, ready? One, two, three. And we're like, okay, go. And then she opened that screen door. She kicked it open. And she ran out there. And she was just like, how dare you? Why, why are you here? This is my home. Get away from my home. I remember she was so mad. And she cocked it. And then you could just hear her. They, my brother took off and they were, they were searching out and you can just see them in the distance. They were at that spotlight, they had the gun, they were back at the truck, they were just going for it. And I remember just standing on the porch and I was thinking, my mom, man, you don't <laughs> mess with mama bear. Like she is mad. Um, and so she just kept going, kept going. And then eventually she came home and she said, I didn't, we, you know, we didn't, f- we didn't find him or anything like that. And so we all went to bed or we tried to go to bed. And I remember um, um, I slept by her that night. I was sleeping by her. And and then the next day we got up. And then my cousins, they live right the next door. And so my mom went over and she told them what happened. So they got on their four tracks. I remember my cousins got on their four tracks. And they went and they were searching for these tracks. Um, and it led them so behind my house there's a riverbed and then there's like these rock formations they're kind of like mace, mini mesas and and there was a um, in that rock formation there was like a little cave it's like a it's not a full-on cave but it's like where it's like a mini like siding open into the cave where you can like a person can go in there and hide and they said they f- they followed the tracks, and that person was laying down there in that little cave thing. And then they followed the tracks into the riverbed, but it was so sandy. Eventually, the tracks went away. And and then my mom was just like, "Ew, I don't know what that." You know, she was like, "It's probably a skinwalker," but well, she was just like, "Any, I don't care what it was, who it was, um, like." I remember she was telling me this person this thing is unwelcome here and we made it clear to it last night that it's never gonna it shouldn't come back and so i remember that and then but that side of my family my cousins they're soup they're very into traditional ways and so um without telling me or my mom they went to a medicine man um, with my dad my dad my dad's more in traditional ways than we are so they went with my dad and they saw this medicine man or whatever and they didn't tell him they didn't tell him anything that happened to me to my mom they didn't tell him any details of that night and he I guess he um, they went to him and he was like your daughter you have a daughter don't you to my dad my dad was like yeah I, I have three and he goes well one of them one of them they came in close contact with evil i feel it but she saw it she saw it before it could do anything and and then my dad was like you're right you know and then he told him this is what happened to my to my my wife and my kids when i wasn't home 
And I remember my dad, the medicine man, telling my dad, well, your your family has good medicine because your daughter knew, like, your daughter, your daughter caught them in the act, was what he told him. And, and so that was my personal experience with this. And to the, it's traumatic to me, and I'm kind of shaking as I tell this story because I'm just remembering how scary I, how scary it was and how it was, it just made me feel. And to this day, I can't sleep with a window open. I can't sleep with the blinds open, even in my own house. Sometimes it's hard for me. But when I, especially when I go home, I can't sleep in that room anymore. And my family understands, so they, they give me a, other accommodations. But it, I know that these are people, I know that they, you know, they just go and they're evil. But um, just that memory of being scared has been etched into my body and into my mind. So um, that was my personal experience with the skinwalker in my life. Wow. That's incredible. I can't even imagine like what I would be thinking if the window was open at the foot of my bed and I heard that and felt that feeling of someone being there. That would have been terrifying. My favorite part in that whole thing was when your mother devised that plan. (laughs) Before she left, she told you, don't be scared. We can't afford that. Yeah. Dude, I felt like she was telling me that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly. Like Mom's in life, a bad day. <laughs> and I was like, okay. That's something that's probably, oh, obviously it stuck with you, but that little piece of advice, I, don't, I feel like that's something that would come into my mind anytime I would, I, I'm scared. Yeah, and I was just at their house this week and they still live the same. Like the screen doors are still open. <laughs> like everything is still the same. And cause I want to get to that point in my life where there's just no fear. Like there's just no, and I will continue living my life the way that I will mm-hmm. kind of attitude. It's unwavering, mm-hmm. you know, don't change for the circumstance. You know, sometimes after stories we like, kind of recap what did you learn and so what i've learned from your two stories is do not mess with the hardy women <laughs> your last name is hardy right yeah it is yeah, do not mess <laughs> with the, the hardy women <laughs> they are down man they're ready to go my takeaway is spring for that air con then you ain't gonna yes. leave the doors open <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, how old were you when that happened actually I think I was 16. 16? Yeah, I was oh. yeah, I was, six, I was a teenager. My little sister, she was like 13. <laughs> but yeah. We, just leave her. We she's woke, good, right? <laughs> <laughs> my mom's like, she's just going to cry. And she woke up the next morning, you know, refreshed because she had a full night's sleep. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what happened? <laughs> what are y'all, are y'all grumpy about? Why is everyone yeah. shaking? Why are you guys still sleeping? Yeah. It's noon. Oh, so does she finally know what happened? Yeah. And she, she a little bit salty? No, because she was like, thank you for letting me sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. Like, um, y'all, y'all seem to handle it fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. I also liked um, kind of your initial 
reaction. I felt like the way you told the story was so like honest because initially you were talked about how terrified you were. Mm, yeah. And then it's like, I think that's a real thing that you experience when you are in a situation like that. Like, I don't care who you are. You feel that fear. But then like, what do either you do it takes, it? yeah, either you take like your mom, she gathered herself within seconds, right? Yeah. Or and then, or or in other people, it it gives them time, or they don't even get to that point and they just sit in that fear. And so I thought that was like a really cool detail because, um, you know, I mean, we've probably all experienced like crazy things. Not that's not like that, but but you know, in those situations <laughs> where your initial reaction is just that that in, that intense fear where you're just like you're so powerless, and then you wake, wait a second, I have power. I I am not powerless here, and. I thought that was like powerful. That part of the, that aspect of the story. Oh yeah. Nice. Um, you know, you said that when your dad went to the medicine man, he said that something about like you like having the gift or like it renting your family because you were able to stop them in the act. You have good medicine. Good is, good medicine. Is that what that was? Yeah. Well, I and I and I asked for clarification on this. Um, so. From what my dad explained it to me was kind of like we have goodness in our home, like we, um, we have there's there's love in our home. There's there's a special way that we go about in our home, and and that's what my dad explained it to us was just our home is a sacred place mm. for us. So like the words that came from the medicine man were good medicine, essentially. Yeah, like but, your yeah, like okay. your your family, your family, and the way that you live your lives in in your house is in, specifically in your home is mm-hmm. what was powerful. Mm. Um, and I and I and he was like, and you know, my dad was telling me that's probably the reason why they came like i said they 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 find things that are good and they want to you know destroy it or they want to scare it yeah um and i think that it just runs in my blood my grandmother um she was just one who was kind of attract you know these things attract were attracted to her but it was always taught to me like you just you acknowledge it, but then you don't give it power once again. So hmm. I think that's kind of the takeaway that my father explained to me. Um, and these th- weird things have always happened to me. I remember as a, the same as as teenager, I think it was either y- the year before I was driving with my brother. My mother sent us into town to go get some milk. And as we were driving, it was night. An owl flew into our windshield oh. and... It was out of nowhere. I thought someone threw a rock at our windshield, and sure enough, my brother was like, "Oh, it's an, it's a bird. You can see the feet sticking out of the windshield." So we got found in this gas station. We pulled in, and it was an. And then I was like, "I'm just turning around. We're gonna go home." So we went home, and then I remember my same cousins who helped me in the story I just told. They came over and they took out, and they pulled it out, and it was an owl. Whoa. And owls in Navajo tradition, they're like they are wise they symbolize death they are like they kind of like messengers between the spirit and the world here mm-hmm. um and then according to that um so that bird the owl wasn't dead it was just stuck in the windshield so they took it out and then they then once we they laid it on the ground it limped away 
And I remember my aunt saying, don't touch it, just let it go wherever it wants to go. Hmm. Um, we didn't think anything of it. My mother, my mother's not a superstitious woman. Um, but they once again took that to the medicine man because they're, st- they're superstitious yeah. people. According to him, the owl gave his life for mine because I was supposed to die that night or something what like that. Um, and then that's when my dad sat me down. He was like, you know, you can take this information as you will. But it seems like these things are attracted to you, because um, you know, it's almost like you have. I have a sensitivity to it, yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm cool with that. But um, yeah, that's kind of it's the strong women in your family. Your grandma, your yeah. mom. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm, good, I'm good with it. I'm glad. Um, just a little bit, because my mom, she went and lived on the res. Mm-hmm. Is there any anything, I don't know if it's like with all Nav- Navajo, but she said someone passed away in the home. And so they didn't go into the home for the whole year. Now, is that something? Yeah. Um, death is, um, it's almost, death is, is viewed differently. It's like um, when somebody passes away, you don't talk about them anymore. Um, a lot of times their ho- the homes and their belongings were burned wow. um, or they didn't go into it for a year. And that's just to respect that they're not here anymore. Hmm. Um, I, from, I heard one person tell me once that it's kind of to let that spirit know, hey, you're, you're dead, go on, um, move oh. on, move, to, move on to the journey. And so and it's out of all sort of respect that you, Navajos, and I think, this could also be said for Native Americans in general. We're very private people. We're very, we hold a lot of things sacred. Things are um, only talked about certain times, certain, there's certain parts of the year where only only special stories are told, only certain parts of the year where ceremonies are done. Certain stories are only told with certain people. So death is one of those things where it's it's almost a very private thing. Well, thank you. So that was the one, one of the things she shared. And the other one was, I think she was in a family who also really liked to tell stories Mm -hmm. and scary stories. Yeah. So she's this eight-year-old girl and they would say, watch the mesas because at night you'll see them running. Yeah. And she says, to this day, my mom cannot look at mesas at night because it scares her that much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's those are the two things she said. So that's actual like folklore or like yeah, uh, some of well, some of the most common stories that you hear about skinwalkers is that they run along the cars when cars drive, yeah. and you'll hear them tapping on the the tail lights or tapping on your Ooh. window because they're running right alongside you, and then you oh. look in the rearview mirror and there's a pair of red eyes looking at you. And <laughs> is that them? Is that them hunting you or just playing around with you? They're just playing with you. They're trying to scare you, like Like I said. Show their power. Like take your happiness and like instill fear almost. Yeah, yeah. Because I like it. It's almost like they feed off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's that. And then there's um, there's some where they will stand and they'll go to people's houses and just look into windows, look who's sleeping and tap on the window and stand in doorways I'm just terrorizing people. Um, this story was told to me by my dad. Um, so back in the day, 
um, they had boarding schools on the reservation. And in the 60s, my dad was, he lived in these boarding schools. So they take these kids from all over the reservation and they put them into one school where they live. And then um, they're young. My dad went when he was five. So you have these little kids living far from home all in one place and it's also to assimilate them into american culture um my dad was punished for speaking navajo he used to spank his hand with a ruler um to to learn to speak english so he was away at this boarding school and he was telling us that one one night they all put the kids to bed um in the dorm they had dorm maids who worked at night where they walked around to, you know, just make sure the kids were sleeping and whatnot. And he said that he was sleeping on his bunk bed and his bunk mate got up. One of, no, not the bunk mate. Um, one of the, so they lived in rooms where there was a bunch of bunk beds, but there was all one big hall where they lived in. And um, one of the young boys got up to use the bathroom and um, the bathroom, I guess, was located in the hallway where there was the big glass doors at the end of the hallway. And so my dad didn't think anything of it when the when one of the guys went, the little boys went to the bathroom. But then he said that they heard a, he, he went in to use the bathroom after him. So he's like, oh, you know, I should get up and use the bathroom too. So he's right behind this boy. So the boy was ahead of him walking down the hallway. The bathroom's on one side of the hallway, and the other hallway is a glass door. And so that little boy, my dad said, I was just walking. He was walking. I was walking, and I was just watching him as he got closer and closer and closer to that window. And then he looked out that window, and then he screamed this just loud scream, and he was so scared and he fell down and he was trying to get away and he was just screaming had his hand over his face and he's just a, a child in complete terror and then my dad goes what and then he walked up and they said in that glass door was this man and he had white paint white ash all over his body and he had long dread-like hair all and it was covering his face and and he was naked except for breech cloth and he was holding a stick or something and he was looking at them through that door and and then that boy was just terrified and then my dad caught my dad said I only caught a glimpse that I enough to provide a description and I got scared and these are all kids that were raised on the reservation and they knew what it was. And so it caused like a pandemonium. Every, everybody was screaming. Everybody was terrified. And they had to have all the doormates come in. And the, my dad's remember the security guards went around patrolling the area. But he was just remember it was like this whole, the whole hall. And all these little boys were screaming. And even those who weren't even, who didn't even see it, were scared in their beds. And he was just like, it was so terrifying. And he's like, into this day, that image of that, that skinwalker has burned into his mind. And I just remember him telling me that experience as well. But that was a short one. From like what you've told me, it sounds like 
that encounter is exactly what he, that skinwalker wanted. Just like causing that much fear through that many children. That's like a feast, you know. And it's almost like it's, it doesn't matter if you're a child or if you're an adult. It's nobody's is, is left alone. It's almost like they just see it as energy, mm-hmm. regardless of like who's it's who it's from. Yeah, unless they have like a bone to pick with a specific person, it's like if they can get fear. Doesn't matter if the fear is coming from a child or a fully matured adult. The energy is the same to them. I think it's kind of interesting too that since their thing is to feed on fear. Like that fear has almost, it has boiled over to people who know nothing about it. And that even just being more educated on who they are and that they are just people can help people be more prepared if something were to happen. Because like the experience we had over in Tahoe where you guys were talking about scary stories and someone just got up and walked away. Like that fear, they've never been on a reservation probably. All they are is afraid of that word. Yeah. So I think being more aware and educated is helpful and helps you be more prepared. Yeah, and I would agree. I think <laughs> I'm probably, I don't know how many people are going to listen to this or what they're going to think and if, if they're Native American themselves, but I am of the same mindset. I think the more you talk about it, the more that you make it to a point where it's not so scary um, you're lessening that power that they have. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. So no, if you are listening around a campfire, you're probably going to be scared by these stories you, right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you will be scared. <laughs> Go in twos to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> you going twos. But like the night is grandfather, so it's all good. Yeah, Dude, I yeah. loved that. <laughs> I loved that. This next one is short. It's my mother's. Once again, we and we were young. Um, we want sleeping in bag of trucks is like a theme. We we do it all the time, um, and it's kind of like how it is on the reservation. You just there's no cousins once removed or whatever white people do. It's like <laughs> <laughs> everybody's cousins, everybody's your brother and sister. There's no you know there's no boundary like that and so we ran we literally ran around with all of our cousins and we called them brother and sister and um we all slept in the back of the truck because it's hot in arizona and so one night we were sleeping all of my cousins and i were sleeping and we were were trying to sleep but we were too busy being rowdy and my mom was sleeping (laughs) in the back of the truck with us and um she had given up on us going to sleep, so we were all just <laughs> sitting there, just, you know, talking and teasing each other. Native kids roast each other. We don't tease. We, <laughs> we make each other cry kind of thing. Um, you got to be able to take a joke. Um, I remember we were just, you know, sitting back of the truck. It was a nice night. And then my mom looks out to the dirt road, which was about half a mile from where we were. And then she goes look, do you see that big dog? Call it over here. She thought it was one of the dogs that my cousins had. And they're like, we were calling it. I forgot its name, but we we're like, puppy, come here, puppy. Come on, come come sleep. Sit, sit down and sleep by us. But it didn't move. And my mom was like, no, that dog is too 
my, I remember my cousin's like, that dog's too big to be one of our dogs. But it was sitting there like a dog looking at us. And my mom was like, that's weird. And it was just like this black figure, like a big, big black dog. And then my mom was like, she started getting like, ah, okay, I don't think that's a dog. And so we were, I remember we were just sitting there watching it, watching it, watching it. And then she was like, let's turn the truck around and shine the lights at it. So then she turned the truck on. And then I remember she, we were all laying in the back. She's like, everybody just hang on. So she gets in, turns it on, and she turns it around um, to shine the light at it. But, the, but within that time, she got out, and we were all busy turning the truck around. When she turned the headlight towards it, it was gone. Hmm. And so it's and the rest of kind of like my life, you just have little things like that where like you see this figure in the distance or you hear a whistle in the night and you you sense something is coming and you know it's bad kind of thing. So for the story like for story's sake that's always like so inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> but with what you shared earlier and how their identity is pretty much like their lifeline like that makes perfect sense for for their sake um to you know survive and it makes perfect sense yeah because it is like risky for them to show themselves yeah like they need to be around like they need to instill the fear and like feed off of it from what it sounds like but they can't can't be close enough it's like icarus you know (laughs) with the wax wings and he flew too close to the sun fell to his death but kind of the same principle with yeah with these skinwalkers yeah, my mom, always, my grandma used to always say, if you can recognize them as they're running away, call out their name. And mm. if just by simply calling out their name, they have to die, if you're right. So you're just guessing names, yelling them as they like... Well, I mean... Yeah. Gerald, Steve, yeah. Crystal. <laughs> yeah. Your least favorite person. Chad. <laughs> yeah. uh, you throw out your sister's name, she's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean... You would have to at least have, have a good guess, or if you're suspicious of somebody in the community, you don't see them the next day. You're like, Whoa. yeah, that's <laughs> happened. That's happened before. <laughs> There's stories like that where they like, oh, what happened to so and so, and they're like, oh yeah, okay, we kind of have an idea what happened to you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's crazy. That's where so it's wrong. like everybody understands that, so. It's like normalizing the culture. So the way you just like described it, like I don't know. It's Where's just like, Kyle at? Oh, uh, like, I haven't seen him for a few days. Like, like oh, well, he's he, yeah, he's probably a skinwalker. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's like extreme cases. I remember my dad telling me this story about how this guy was suspicious of his neighbor was gushing him and so he went and built like this elaborate net or whatever and the story goes he caught him in the net as he was being a skinwalker and in whatever so people are legit ready like some of them are ready to capture one some of them are ready to to just go yeah some of, like it's it's kind of mixed emotions. Some of them are scared; they don't even want to talk about it. And then some of them are like, "We want to catch as many as we can," kind of thing. That's my crew right there. <laughs> Let's go catch them. <laughs> I, oh gosh, I have like a a super short experience. I, 
uh, it's not mine. So I have a friend who is from South America and he played a lot of basketball with um, some Navajo guys and they shared a story that they had when they were little. And so they lived up a canyon and it was like a narrow road. It was really rural. And one night when they were coming home, I think from playing basketball, their mom's driving them in a car and they pull up and they come around this corner and they can look up and see their house, their silhouette of the house with the setting sun behind it. So they're in the back of the car and they're talking and all of a sudden mom slams on the brakes and they're like, they, you know, they kind of readjust and they look at mom and they're like, mom, what's going on? Shh. And she's clutching the steering wheel and staring up at the house. And they're like, look at her and they can feel something's wrong. And they look up at their house and they just see a silhouette of a man standing on their house. Ooh. And they're like, mom, who's shh. She says again, she's like, be quiet. And they kind of started to understand what was going on. And they said their mom and the man on the house like sat in a standoff, like a stare off for 10 minutes until finally he walked to the edge of the house, hopped off and ran away. And instead of going inside, she just put the car in reverse, went down the hill and they didn't come back for like a week. Holy cow. But yeah, super short. Super short experience, but still super scary. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only story that I have, besides the typical running next to the car one that I feel like all of us have heard, um, comes from a friend of mine. And it makes so much more sense now with how it fizzled out or played out at the very end of the story. But, um, they were playing basketball one night on their driveway and they had like a, uh, an outside like porch light to light up like their little court. And, uh, their grandpa was with them just sitting in a chair facing the house, uh, watching them play ball. But besides the light, like it was like they lived on the reservation as well. So it's, dark out you know no really other street lights because you're in the middle of the desert Mm -hmm. and um while they're playing basketball it's my friend and i believe his brother they hear like rustling in some bushes um next to this tree in their front yard and it's just at like the threshold of the light where it starts getting dim like you can see but not really and they see this dark figure peeking around the tree and my friend says to his grandpa he's like grandpa i think did you hear that or did you you see anything back there and the grandpa staring at the house watching them play basketball doesn't pay attention to the tree behind him and he just says just keep playing basketball like pay no attention to it, you know? So they keep playing basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Pass the ball. (laughs) Shoot it. (laughs) Fouled. (laughs) Go for the touchdown. Just completely forget how to play ball. But uh, uh, their dad or uncle, somebody comes home and 
uh, from time to time they can still hear like this rustling, you know. Um, and he's just trying not to look because he doesn't want to see this figure looking back at him. But um, they come, uh, an uncle or dad drives home and the, the car's headlights flashes across the tree. They don't see anything, but they hear the rustling again, almost like it was hiding. Mm. But apparently the uncle or whoever came home saw it. Not in its entirety, but enough to know that something was hiding behind the tree. So their uncle or whoever grabs a flashlight out of the truck and starts walking towards the tree, shining it at the tree. Doesn't say anything. And they watch as this thing just runs off into the desert. They never see it again. But I don't know. From what we've discussed, it sounds like almost like it ran away and was hiding, so they couldn't see who it was. Maybe it was somebody they knew. Hmm. We'll probably never know, but... I like how the grandpa was just like, just continue. Like, don't acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't, you don't need to feed it, you know, just keep playing basketball. Mm-hmm. I am curious, so, like, skinwalkers are at the apex of, like, Navajo, like, folklore, and is there any other, like like other legends or folklore around different entities or other things that are, I don't know, subject of children's nightmares in Navajo culture. I think, um, that was the main one I grew up with, but it's also like the boogeyman, like, you know, like it's going to get you if you don't behave, but it's also like, um, Navajo, like just the stories and the history um my grandma used to tell stories because she learned them from her father who was the medicine man he also kept history of the of navajo um how they think that the world came to be and all these different things and in in their stories of their creation and um, there's monsters in them hmm. but they're not scary they're they're almost like this their necessary kind of thing like they they brought bad things but the world needed bad things um to to outweigh the good kind of thing so there's monsters and yeah there's monsters in the folk the navajo creation stories but they're not bad they're not evil Mm -hmm. it's almost like they were they were there they had a purpose they were still bad but they played a they had there was substance to them for why yeah. we needed them, okay. um, almost like an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. You need things need the forest needs to burn. Animals need to eat other animals. That kind of thing, like that understanding where it it all goes together, kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but as far as being scared, um, it's almost like it's fun to be scared. It's almost <laughs> like a, you know, like it's a sport, you know, to to tell stories and to be scared but also at the same time it's almost like um in some cases it's just like you know uh, navajos are very humorous people but it's also like let's laugh you know let's let's be funny and let's tell funny things so it's scary but it's also like people like to laugh and like to joke so there's a lot of stories where there's a lot of humor mixed into it as well Uh, every time we haven't done it recently, but every time I've ever had a story session, I always kind of made it a rule to finish on good stories 
to clear the air. Mm-hmm. Just because, I don't know, you don't want to walk away from the circle being affected or scared because you're kind of impaired in a way, you know? So I don't know. Just hearing that, like, you guys mix in scary stories. I like, or, I mean, uh, ha- uh, funny and humorous things. Humor, yeah, is like the perfect um, medicine for fear. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, honestly, it's like a balance we've, like, done here is, like, sometimes someone will be telling a scary story, like, I'm so in it, and then someone cracks a joke and just breaks the tension, and yeah. it's like, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that roller coaster, you know, scary, happy. Yeah. But, yeah. I wish I could take you home to my cousins. They are the better than me. Like, scare your socks off. I'm super down. <laughs> we also got to take Jump it step by step <laughs> because this was pretty, I don't know, this was like pretty scary, but also like enlightening. But It's almost like for me personally, like I get scared pretty easily um, with like things like, I don't know, like, supernatural things but like when it comes to like people i'm for some reason not afraid of people because i'm just like it's just another person like they're gonna have to get through me you know if like it's a serious scary situation so it's like the the perspective and seeing the reality of like where they come from and who they are it's like it's so like empowering like your grandma your mother you like this like the confidence and the 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 power that comes with that confidence and that not giving that fear away and like you know keeping keep, keeping yourself kind of grounded and and in those situations it's just like i don't know like i'm not like scared like you know what i mean like i almost like don't need a happy story to feel better like i feel good mm-hmm. right now but yeah. maybe that's just because i just really appreciate your storytelling and i'm just like <laughs> peeking out right now weirdly but no yeah you're like definitely your stories were terrifying but it's also you put it into perspective that everything has a place we definitely have our place here and just knowing our place and how to respond in those kind of situations. It's like be unmoving. Yeah. And I think that's what allures me personally to scary stories in the first place. I mean, you can be scared and you could be terrified, but at, at the end of the story, you're still the person in charge of you and what you're afraid of and what you're going to allow to, to linger and scare you. So I, in my opinion, the more scary stories, the better, because you just <laughs> you just get better at managing your emotions and turning whatever anxiety or be fear and using it to act to to lead to action. So that's, in my opinion, that's what scary stories should be doing for you. Right. Amen. Amen. I agree. What scares you the most? What scares me the most? Yeah. Scary stories. Like, is there one subject you're like, oh? Um. Anything that has to do with, I used to be really afraid of like exorcism stuff. Mm. So anything that has to do with like religion, like Christianity and scary stories, I'm just like, that used to just always be a trigger for me, but not so more, not so much now. It's more with anything with little kids, scary stories with little kids kind of just get me like I can't they're sometimes. They're the ones that's happening too, or they're yes, the ones who's doing it. Okay, both. <laughs> Kids are scary. <laughs> they're just yeah, <laughs> but more if it's happening to them. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you would like to like sum up or share? 
who, who to people to like help them understand or anything like that? I think, I mean, I guess it would be to those who are listening, who are either Native American who or who um, come from a different indigenous tribe from any part of the world. I think that I'm probably some will be upset with me for even sharing this information with you guys. But from my point of view and my perspective, these these stories are meant for power. They're meant for to share and to anyone who was willing to listen. And so that's my personal view on stories overall is that um, some are specifically for you, some are specifically for your family, some are to be told in public. And the ones that I told were personal to me, to my family, but I also know that they would want these things to be heard as well. So I don't feel any guilt or any sort of like um, bad feeling for sharing these stories. I actually feel really glad that I did this because I'm so willing to share these different things. I think that they should be told. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree here uh, from the guys here um, that this was really special uh maybe even the best episode we've had so far yeah definitely and (laughs) we really appreciate you opening up and uh sharing these stories and it has power like i've felt it tonight at least me personally um it's just been overall a really special night so thank you for coming out we really appreciate it i think there is a lot to be learned and understood and gained from from these kind of things to take with us moving forward so we hope that if you have more stories maybe you you come back and share them in the future Please either come back. either or um i'll ask my parents we're happy that you came through so thank you <laughs> and to everyone out there thank you so much for for all of your support so far i know we say it every episode and <laughs> might be redundant but we we really do mean it i mean we're still pretty small, but all the support we've we've garnered has been amazing, and it like brightens our day that we're able to be a part of your life for an hour a week, you know. Mm. So thank you for for checking us out. I I'm gonna say something, maybe you're not, whatever. But I f- I honestly feel like tonight we came a little bit closer. We came a lot closer to what 3 a.m. should or could be. And it was a spe- this is a special episode. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. If you do have any stories, though, please send them to 3 a.m. podcast stories at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories as well. Uh, I always say it at the close of every time. I lost a cousin when I was young. And so I've said it since I was little um, because... Every time you part, it could be the last time you see someone. So every since I was little, I used to say, bye, lovey, be safe. So to our listeners out there, from me, bye, lovey, be safe. Trust your gut and watch your back. Thanks for listening.
on the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 